Hi, my name is Paul Grogan. Welcome to episode 29 of the all new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the live Q&A that went out at the end of September 2022. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. And if you like the content that I create and you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now on with the show. If I press that button, I think we are live. I think we're live. Um, I think so. If you're watching this live, please let me know in the chat if you can hear me and you can see me okay. Uh, and welcome to September's live Q&A. Now, the format of this live Q&A will be the same as the last ones. So I'm going to be going through all of the questions that I've been asked in advance on the BGG Guild first, and then we're going to throw over to the live questions. So if you have any questions for me and you are watching this live, uh, please start with the word question in capitals. Uh, but if you're going to stick around for the next hour and a half, hang fire. Don't ask your questions just yet if you wait until the, the live question part of the show. Um, so yeah, first I'm going to be going through all of the questions that have been asked uh, on the Board Game Geek Guild. If you're watching this for the first time and you don't know that I have a Board Game Geek Guild, then it's guild number 2258. Please feel free to join, subscribe, and you can use the guild for uh, whatever you want to. Um, we're also going to be revealing who won the contest for last month and also the new contest for this month. Before we start, I just wanted to mention, um, I might be a little bit frazzled in this one. I've not been sleeping well this week, and I've certainly, we've had various things going on today. I've not done the amount of prep that I normally do for these live Q&A, so apologies for that. Uh, what that does mean is I've not actually had time to uh, really go through the questions uh, that I'd been asked in advance, because normally I spend about an hour going through them and checking for answers, uh, checking to see what I would say and everything else. The video banner says August. You're absolutely right. The video banner says August. Let me fix that now. See, as I say, not had time to, <laughs> to prep for it. Um, where is the live Q&A text? There we go. Let's change that while we're here. So yeah, it's going to be a little bit more rough and ready than normal. Um, and yeah, because I'm not sleeping, I'm really tired and therefore I might struggle to come up with some answers more so than usual. Right, let's start off. First of all, George Us, thank you very much for your question. Uh, every game session, irrespective of the game picked, tells a story. Do you look back at the session in order to recall the story, or are you looking back only for mechanistic issues, rules, mistakes, game stats, and everything else? So, um, I'm not sure for me, every game tells a story. Um, there's a lot of games that I play which are purely mechanical, uh, and I, I, I understand that they kind of tell a little bit of a story in a way. Oh, remember that game where, you know, Paul was doing really well and then, you know, Dave managed to just sneak the win at the end. I guess that kind of thing. But I play too many games to be able to remember that many, that many details. Um, obviously, there are games that do actually tell a story, the, the narrative driven ones. But if we forget the narrative ones for a minute, um, I tend to... I mean, obviously, if it's an amazing game, there are a few games that I've played where I have that have been memorable, um, where something has happened. But on the whole, I play the game um, mechanically and enjoy the game based on that rather than it for me telling a story. Um, but yeah, I, I can I can certainly see where you're coming from with with every time you play a game, it tells a story, even if it's a dry, boring Euro um, pushing cubes around kind of thing. But yeah, for me, not so much. Um, do I believe in the five second rule that if you uh, if you like or dislike a game depends on the first five seconds after unboxing it, 
Um, I don't know about that rule. That's a new rule to me. Um, but I definitely don't agree with that. I have been very excited about certain games after unboxing them that I have gone on to uh, have quite a strong dislike for the game. And it is just proof in point that it doesn't matter how much bling your game has got, doesn't matter how good the artwork it is, it doesn't matter how good the miniatures are, if the game isn't good or the rulebook isn't good, then I'm not going to enjoy the game. Um, so yeah, for me, it takes me a lot longer than five seconds. In fact, it would take me at least two or three games, I think, before knowing whether I actually enjoyed it or not. Uh, and there are certain games that I've enjoyed the first time, second time, and then gone on to hate. I mean, literally hate. Um, there are other games where I didn't like them the first few times I played them that then I went on to love. So, yeah. Um, what were my struggles when I first... Uh, what were your struggles when you were first introduced in the hobby and have these struggled transforms in the years followed? So I've been a gamer since I was a kid. Um, it was in the very late 90s, probably 98, 99 time that I transitioned from the part of the hobby that I was in, which was mainly Magic the Gathering with some role playing games um, and a tiny little board games on the side. Very, very little. But I transitioned in about 98, 99 into almost purely board games. But I was around playing board games back in the 80s. So for me, struggles when I was introduced to the hobby, the struggle was I was a I was a 13, 14 year old kid uh, going to a D&D &D group of lots of older people. Uh, and that, that was the struggle. And it was whether my dad could drive me there. Um, so, yeah, my introduction to the hobby has been from from a very early age. Um, yeah, so. It's an interesting question, actually, for other people, um, other people that have been introduced to the hobby, you know, at a later stage of their life, people who've been into gaming, what what are the struggles that other people will have? Um, but yeah, as far as I'm concerned, my whole life has always been uh, embedded in it. Right. General Leggy has two questions. He said, I know I liked Tainted Grail. Um, did I play with the rules as written or did we play using some modified house rules? He asks because he's not yet played his copy. And there is some sort of rules upgrade on the new Kickstarter and wondering whether to wait. OK, so, yes, Tainted Grail. I enjoyed the game a lot, mainly from a narrative driven experience. It is my number one favourite immersive setting and narrative driven game. That's not to say that the core game doesn't have its problems. It, the, the base rules of the game, as they are, are very grindy. Um, and we played the original, the first campaign, which is the Fall of Avalon. We played that with some house rules, particularly story mode. We turned on story mode, which is an official variant, which allows you to enjoy the story. It's still a challenge. It just cuts down on the grind. But I will have to say that if you haven't yet played Tainted Grail Campaign 1, I would wait until the fix uh, fixes that they're issuing. So Tainted Grail is coming is back on Kickstarter, not Kickstarter, GameFound. It's gone back on GameFound this week with a new expansion. But as part of that new expansion, they are updating the base game of Tainted Grail, and they are fixing a lot of those issues uh, with it. So if you haven't started the first campaign yet, I would strongly recommend waiting. Um, I mean, you, if you can't wait, play on story mode, definitely. Um, but if you can wait, definitely, because they're fixing, I think there's 120 replacement cards. Uh, I think they're going to do a new rule book and they're going to fix a lot of the a lot of the issues with it. Um, next question. Did I play first edition AD&D? If so, what was your first, your favourite pre-written dungeon? So yeah, I started playing D&D back in the 80s. I started with basic Dungeons and Dragons um, when that came out in, in the red box, but then definitely played uh, played a lot of first edition D&D. 
and then a bit of second edition D&D. And then I played a lot of 3 and a lot of 3.5. I didn't play anything after 3.5 because I kind of stopped role-playing at that point. Um, what is my favourite pre-written dungeon and my most memorable moments? I, I could do an entire hour's show about memorable moments in role-playing games. Um, I've had a lot of them, and some of those are very much... Uh, stuck in my memory but of the original scenarios that came out and for those people who don't know um, when D&D sort of came out there was a series of scenarios and they all had a letter and a number uh, so T1 was the village of Homlet, T2 Temple of Elemental Evil, G1, 2 and 3 was against the giant series there's been a there's been a whole load of them um, one of my favorite ones was the Desert of Desolation series which I think was T3, 4 and 5 it was definitely 3, 4 and 5 but I can't remember the letter um, but that's basically Egypt and you're going and you're exploring a, a pyramid and there's all sorts of traps and mazes and things like that. That one really appealed to me. Um, but there were a lot of original ones. I think Secret of Saltmarsh, Secret of Saltmarsh, which is U1 or U2, uh, that, that was fantastic as well. So there were some really good pre-written scenarios back in the day. Uh, there were also ones that were not so good that were just basically room, monster, room, monster. But yeah, there were some good ones. Um, next question from Dan. It looks like this year's top 200 solo games list, which is the people's choice for the top solo games 2022, uh, starts now. Might not have any commentary videos. And, and Danny's asking if I'm going to fix that. Um, well, I, I popped into the guild, the thread. Thank you very much, Dan, for tagging me in. Uh, and I've offered my help. So basically they got together last year. There was five of them uh, that got together. Uh, and Luke Hector and Mark Dainty were on the show last year. And if they want me involved, I've I've offered, um, but nobody's got back to me yet. So yeah, I'm more than happy to get involved in that because I do play a lot of solo games. Whether I'd be able to provide commentary on the top 200, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right, next question's from Brian uh, with some deeply philosophical questions. So they're all about biscuits. Which board game box art do you think would make the best wrapper for a packet of biscuits? So I mentioned that I haven't had time to prep for this month's live Q&A. Um, which, this is a question I'm going to throw open to the chat. So, if you're watching this either live, if you're watching it live, put, put your answers in the chat now. If you're watching this back afterwards, please leave me a comment in the video. The question is, which board game box art do you think would make the best wrapper for a packet of biscuits? So, uh, I mean, it would have to be bright and colourful and it would have to stand out on, on the shelves. So, I'm thinking not roads and boats um yeah i'm not sure actually i mean i'm just looking up but the endless winter box is quite nice because the um the text for the game is yeah let's say endless winter there you go just because it's over there and i've looked at it and that looked really nice but actually quite a few of them would look quite nice yeah let us know what you think in the chat um right next uh, if you could have any new flavour of Jaffa Cake, what would it be and why? Now, they've done a lot of different flavoured Jaffa Cakes, and some of them have been really nice, and some of them have been weird. The lemon and lime one was a bit... Oh, the pineapple one didn't work. Yeah, the pineapple one wasn't nice. I did like the festive one that they did, and the cherry one's nice, just not in porridge. Um, but if I could have any new flavour of Jaffa Cake... See, part of me is thinking, well, let's go for flavours that I like. Like... Salted caramel, dime bars, but whether they'd work in a Jaffa cake, I don't think they would. They would have to be some kind of fruity taste, um, and they've already done blackcurrant and cherry and things like that. So let's have let's have dime bar Jaffa cakes, and it will be a it will be a complete disaster. 
Do I think that wagon wheels are much smaller than they used to be? I think, Brian, you asked that question about three or four months ago. Uh, but they are. I, I'm pretty sure wagon wheels are definitely much smaller than they used to be. It's a comma. Fourth question. If McVitie's asked you to design your own biscuit, the Columpton Crunch, what would it be like? Well, I've already given it away. Dime bars. Dime bars are really nice. Um, and if it's going to be called the Columpton Crunch, then it would definitely have some kind of dime bar in it. It would also have nuts on the outside, probably nuts, uh, hazelnuts or something like that uh, around the outside. Basically anything that's crunchy. Um, but yeah, dime bars covered in hazelnuts with a bit of salted caramel mixed in. There we go. Right. Next question from Scott. Which games, and this is another good question, and I think this probably is a good question for the guild. So Chrissy, if you're watching, could you convert this question into a question for the guild? If you're not on the guild, guild number 2258, go and join it, go and subscribe. There's very, very little traffic on there. There's maybe two posts a month, um, but we're going to ask a question on the guild thread. I mean, feel free to answer it in the chat now, but the advantage of the guild is that the question's there forever for people to see. So the question is, uh, and this question has come in from Scott Nelson, which games have fired other games to the point where you have removed them from your shelves? Now, I'm not going to answer the question exactly because there are a few games that I can think of where it hasn't completely removed it from my shelves. It's still there, but I wouldn't play it. And the one that comes to mind is going to be a very controversial and unpopular choice, and that is Caverna and Agricola. And I'm saying that having already agreed to bring back home a copy of the 15th anniversary anniversary edition of Agricola and play it again. So Agricola, when it came out, was an absolutely groundbreaking game. Um, I was there at the Essen Spiel that it came out. It was only available in German. It was like 35 euros, which is an insane price. It didn't have all of the wooden veggie meeples in. Um, they, it was just cardboard tokens at the time. And it was only in German. And I bought it knowing that it had 300 cards with text on that I wasn't going to be able to use. But I saw something in the game and I thought this game is going to be big. This looks great. It's about farming. I love it. Um, and as it turns out, Agricola turned out to be a massively popular game and set Uwe Rosenberg off on a, on a on a career. I mean, he'd done the games before Agricola, but Agricola was the one which which I think made it for him. Um, so, yeah, so, so I got Agricola and I played Agricola loads. I don't know how many times I've played Agricola. But then Caverna came out and I am in the camp the controversial camp, which thinks that Caverna is a better game than Agricola for a number of reasons, which is another whole podcast in itself. So for me, Caverna has replaced Agricola. If I've got both, I would always choose to play Caverna. Saying that, it's been probably 10 years since I played Agricola. Maybe 10 years. The last time we played it was were we living in this house when we played it? So it's probably about 10 years ago, which is why... 15th anniversary edition has come out i'm picking up a copy of it i'm excited about it and i am going to revisit it and i will hopefully enjoy the parts of agricola that i did enjoy but the bits that i didn't enjoy the whole stressful nature of the feeding the family and all of that stuff and the timing of your actions and the fact that there's only one family growth space and you're playing a five play game all of all of those things that i had issues with they were fixed in agricola uh so they were fixed in caverna so that's that's the easiest answer for me to give. There's probably lots of other ones, but that's that's the first one I can think about. 
Next question from Wade. Do I ever play any anything key games with a house rule? Uh, anything key games with a house rule? Not sure what you mean by that, but he's saying that they always draft cards in wingspan to mitigate the good and bad luck on an opening draw. Um, so when you say key games, maybe you mean like really, really big popular games. Do we play any big popular games with a house rule? Yes. And the first one that comes to mind happens to be the number one game on Board Game Geek. Um, so Gloomhaven, we play Gloomhaven with a couple of house rules. The first house rule that we use in Gloomhaven is when you get your battle goals at the start of a scenario, you are you get two. It's going to be three in Frosthaven, but you get two battle goals. You have to decide at that point which of those battle goals you want to be your goal for the scenario. Uh, and then you discard the other one. And that is then your goal. We don't we don't do that. What we play with is you can keep both battle goals. They are two objectives and you can achieve one of them by the end of the scenario. And I just find that a lot friendlier for the players because you don't have to make that decision at the start of a scenario. You can. Yeah, you just don't have to. That's one rule we play with. We also play with a house rule for Gloomhaven where when you level up, you're supposed to add a card into your available supply. Um, and then your available supply of cards is different from the ones in your pack. We don't bother with that. Every time we just re we just respec our characters whenever we want to. The reason we do that is if you get if you level up and you say, oh, I've leveled up to level three. Right. I'm going to choose a level three card. I'm going to add that into my available pool. And then it turns out that that card doesn't fit your build or it's rubbish or whatever. You're stuck with it. And we just prefer the flexibility that you go, I tell you what, I don't want this level three card. I'll swap that for the other level three card. Again, it's not in the rules. It's not the way you're supposed to play. But we play Gloomhaven with house rules. Um, next question. What game am I most excited about playing at Essen? That's a very good question. And for those of you that are interested, this Saturday, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, UK time, I'm doing a live show with Luke Hector from The Broken Meeple, Mark Dainty from Not Board Gaming, and Mike Dennis from Ready Steady Play. We're going to be talking about all of the new hot games that are coming out in Essen. Uh, so if you're interested, Saturday afternoon, tune in, watch the four of us talking about all of the new hot games that are coming out. My situation, my 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 position in this is is different because you might notice I have a copy of Lacrimosa on the table in front of me. Lacrimosa is, I know, a lot of people's game that they want to see the most, buy the most, play the most when they get to Essen. But I'm playing it tonight. So if you're interested, there will be a playthrough of Lacrimosa happening on the channel tonight. So there's a few games coming out from Essen, which I've already got my hands on um, because I'm in the position of being a reviewer. One of the games I don't have yet is Revive. And I am very much looking forward to Revive based on what everybody else has said about it. So yeah, Revive is very high up there, if not my number one choice. But as I say, caveat that with I've already got some of the games. If I hadn't already got some of the games that were coming out at this year's Essen, they might be higher on the list. Um, right, next from Radek. Do I pay much attention to the theme of a game? Was there a game that you didn't know anything about before, but a topic caught your attention? And opposite, was there a game that the subject of which made you refuse to play? So theme in games doesn't really matter to me. So the game that we're playing tonight is Lacrimosa, which is about Mozart's requiem unfinished requiem because he died before he finished it so they got other musicians in to finish the requiem right i have zero interest in that as a theme i like the fact that they're using a different theme than oh your adventure is going down a dungeon or you're farming in the middle ages or whatever you know all of the all of the themes that have been 
done a million times already. I like the fact that they've gone with a different theme for Lacrimosa, and I do like it when publishers do explore different themes. That has zero impact, or almost zero impact, on my enjoyment of the game. So if Lacrimosa was a game about collecting space dinosaurs and sending them off around the world, whatever, I'm going to enjoy this game because of the uh, mechanics, how clear the rules are, sorry, the mechanisms, the mechanisms, how clear the rules are, how good the gameplay is, uh, and that, generally speaking for me, doesn't have anything to do with the theme. I It, it really bothers me um, when people assume that a game is good because it has a certain theme. And if you're one of those people, then sorry, but th those kinds of statements annoy me. Um, like, oh, it's a game about Cthulhu. Oh, it's going to be good. No, it's not going to be good. The fact that it's a game about a theme that you like is absolutely irrelevant to how good the game is. That said, if you like the Cthulhu theme or if you like Mozart, you might enjoy this game a bit more because if you know something about Mozart's Requiem and this game is accurate, then you might enjoy it a bit more. But for me, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really make much of a difference. Um, so yeah, uh, was there a game that you didn't know anything about before, but a topic caught your attention? Not really. I don't go out and seek, you know, if I, if I see a game with a theme that looks interesting, maybe I'll look into it a bit more. But as I say, I'm, I'm purely about the mechanisms in the game, really. Due to the fact that he plays the cello and he's a professional musician from the NFM Philharmonic in Poland, he's very curious what kind of music I listen to on a daily basis. Well, there we go. So he's a professional musician, plays the cello uh, for the Philharmonic Orchestra in Poland. Cool. And we're playing uh, a game tonight about music. Um, what kind of music do I listen to on a daily basis? I don't listen to enough music. I really don't listen to as much music as I'd like to listen to. Um, but I have varying tastes of music but I'm still stuck a little bit in the 80s and 90s with my with my music so I'll put on some bands from the 80s that I uh, that I quite liked uh, yeah I don't listen to much modern music and with the work that I do certainly with the video editing and the video filming and everything else it's actually I find music a bit distracting because um, I have to keep stopping it in order to listen to doing some video editing and it's 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 tricky it's tricky Right, next question from Kenneth. Uh, Kenneth says, when listing games in alphabetical order for my vlog, oh yeah, I did it in alphabetical order for my vlog uh, this month, rather than uh, chronological order. Do I consider games that start with the as starting with T or whatever the letter starts with next? That's a very good question. I don't know what I did. <laughs> but that's a, that's a question which I will put open to the chat. If you are doing, for example, a video log or you're writing a written article or you're doing a podcast or you're producing any kind of content where you're listing games and you're going to list them in alphabetical order do you put the crew under t or c let me know i i, I don't know what i did um for for the last one oh next question from kenneth is a good one would i rather play the physical or digital version of spirit island so earlier this week, was it this week? No, last week. Last week, I did a digital playthrough of Spirit Island. The digital version of Spirit Island is amazing. It is so good. I have always said for years now that I will always prefer to play a physical game. I like the tactile nature 
of board games. I like picking up pieces, moving them around. I like shuffling a deck of cards. I like drawing four cards and looking at them in my hand. So almost always I will enjoy playing with a physical copy of the game. However, there are some digital versions of games which almost make playing the physical game redundant through the ages. Gloomhaven, Spirit Island, and for any of you that have watched any of my live streams, you will know that due to a combination of uh, me being usually tired or um, doing too many things, like I'm, I'm hosting the stream, I'm doing a playthrough, I'm trying to remember the rules, I'm making sure the stream's going okay, making sure the microphones are all on, I quite often will make play mistakes during a playthrough. And the chat will be shouting at me and saying, Paul, you forgot to get your two points. Paul, you can't put that there. You know, so I'm always having to watch the chat whenever I'm doing a playthrough to make sure that I'm playing the rules correctly. And and you'll know this if, you, if you're if you're the person in the group who knows the rules of the game, then there is a level of overhead where you've always got to make sure you're playing with the correct rules. And when you're playing a digital version, all of that's done for you. So when. Uh, when me and Mark played Spirit Island last week using the digital version of the game, we got to the end of the stream, we said thank you very much, and we went away. And the good news was, we played that game correctly, by the rules of the game, because it was the digital version. So that took away any overhead of pressure about rules from me. So, yeah, I know a few people have said they never play physical Gloomhaven anymore, and they never play physical Through the Ages anymore, because the digital version has has replaced it. Um, and I, I can I can definitely see that. And Spirit Island, I'm not sure to be honest. I'm gonna I'm because because you've asked a question and you deserve an answer right now at this moment in time. I'm gonna say I prefer playing the digital version of Spirit Island rather than the physical version. Um, yeah, there you go. I've gone on record. Might change my mind tomorrow, but no, that's really good. Um, will I be doing a daily Essen vlog like last year? Really enjoyed those. My plan is to do that. So last year when I went to Essen, every night I got back to the hotel and I did a video log. Um, and they were popular. They were really popular. I mean, a lot of those video logs that I did from like 10 or 11 o'clock at night in a hotel room in Essen, in Essen, worst quality internet connection ever, but they were getting more views than this live, this Q&A now. So um not that I do the videos for the views, but they were really popular. So I'd like to. I will be taking the laptop with me uh, and I'll take the webcam with me this time. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how we get on. Uh, it all does depend on the internet connection because there was one night where it absolutely completely went wrong. And I think the stream was still going out um, and I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, and I couldn't cancel it because I couldn't get back onto the internet in order to cancel. The, it was all a bit of a mess. But anyway... I'll try and do that this year. And I'm going to Essen, by the way. For those people who don't know, I will be leaving for Essen this time. Next week, I'll be in Essen. Wow, that's scary. Right, next question from Augustine. Uh, really enjoyed the Tilatum playthrough. Tilatum. There you go. Tilatum. Um, so much that he went back and revisited Tabernusi, which he'd previously written off as too abstract. The T games are really deep and engaging. Do I think that they have staying power, though? Will they still be considered good games 10 years from now? Some of them, yes. Teotihuacan is definitely still being played. Um, and I believe that has staying power. Even Zolkin, the the original T game, even though it's not published by Board and Dice, um, Zolkin is 2012 it came out. 
Um, so that, that's definitely got staying power. However, there are so many of them now. So I don't know. Tekenu, Tabanusi, uh, Tilatum, uh, Tawantinsuyu, which I've still not played. Um, some of them have definitely got more staying power than the others. But yeah, I, I think they've got staying power because I think they're, they're solid games. Um, next question from Florian. Which board game or board games would I rather play solo than multiplayer? Oh, I'm not thinking of good or on par solo modes, but ones where it's really actually better than the experience with other players. Oh, see, this is where me not being able to not having the time to do any prep for this. A game which I would rather play solo than multiplayer. I don't even know. I don't know if there is a, if there is one. Um, no, and I'm trying to think of a lot of the games that I've played solo on the channel a lot, like Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, Marvel Champions, Star Wars Outer Rim, Maracaibo Campaign. All of those games that I've played solo on the channel, I would have preferred to play them multiplayer. Um, yeah. That's not to say that I don't like playing solo games, but if anybody in the chat knows the answer to the question, in other words, have I said before that there is a certain game that I prefer playing solo to multiplayer? If there is, please remind me, because I can't think of any game where I would prefer to play it solo. Um, I mean, even if we look at things like Feast for Odin, that is a great solo game and you can play it in like 25, 30 minutes, I would still always prefer to play that solo. Um, Mage Knight, no, Mage Knight, I would, I would want to play Mage Knight two player, two or three player max, um, for me, even though I know it's well respected as an amazing solo game, I always prefer to play it multiplayer. Right. Next question from Nigel. Now, this is a long question here. Um, and if I'd, if I'd had time to prep this afternoon, I tell you what, before we go into Nigel's question, let me just talk about the contest. So each month, as part of these live Q&As, I give away £50 worth of games vouchers for GamesLaw. GamesLaw is the UK's largest specialist games retailer at gameslaw.com. And £25 of that voucher comes from GamesLaw and £25 of that voucher comes from me. So in this show right now, I'm going to be giving away £50 worth of vouchers for GamesLaw. If you're not in the UK, you can still enter the contest because £50 you'll pay for shipping, but you can still enter the contest. So please don't not enter the contest or think you're not eligible just because Games Law is in the UK. If you are abroad, you can still enter the contest. Dogs are barking outside. To enter the contest, all you need to do is there's a link going to be appearing in the chat. And if you're watching this back afterwards, the link is already in the description of the video. It is a link to a Google form. And all you need to do is go in, fill in some details, and the secret word is Mozart. Uh, because we're playing Lacrimosa tonight, the secret word for today is Mozart. Now, if you are a patron supporter of mine, then by entering your details into the form, you get two tickets into the draw. If you're not a patron supporter, you get one ticket into the draw. Uh, and that is a bit of a thank you to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel. But it does happen now and again that uh, somebody who isn't a patron supporter wins. And that's that's absolutely fine. The winner of last month's contest was Keith Shapley. Thank you very much, Keith. I've known Keith for a long time and he's been a patron supporter for a while. Uh, so Keith has won £50 worth of vouchers and he's going to let me know what he's going to buy with those vouchers. I only told him this morning, so I don't think he's decided yet. Unless you have decided, Keith, and you're still here. If you have decided and you're still here, let us know what you're going to buy with those vouchers. Um, but yeah, good luck to everybody for entering the contest. And if you're watching this video back afterwards, if you're not watching this video live, that's fine. You've got almost a month 
to enter the contest because I only do the draw on the morning of the next live Q&A. So it's going to be about another four weeks. You've got about four weeks to enter the Q&A. And just to give you an idea of how many people enter, it's about 100. So these videos normally get about 1,000 views um, and only 100 people actually enter the contest. So yeah, enter the contest. There's nothing, nothing it's not going to cost you anything. Right, let's go back to Nigel's question. I'll try and skip and summarize it. So recently, uh, Jared from Three Minute Board Games, he does great videos on his channel. If you're not subscribed to him, go and subscribe. And now an alarm's going off, brilliant. Um, posted a video on his channel about peer pressure that exists within the hobby to acquire more and more games. Now, I haven't seen this video yet, so I don't know what it's about, um, but I think Nigel is going to summarize it. He says, especially new games, whether, whether players have the time to play those games or not, and whether they have already played all of the games in their collection or not. This pressure is inevitably driven by publishers as they have their livelihoods to think about. But the argument goes that FOMO and the discourse in board gaming media and social media is perhaps fueling an unhealthy level of consumption for a portion of the gaming community. This is quite a philosophical question, this. I hope, the, I, I hope when I get to the end of this, the question is going to be, do you prefer Jaffa Cakes or Jaffa Donuts? So, Nigel says, as someone who has previously made a point of featuring older games on my channel. Oh, me, right. Do you feel that there is an imbalance in the hobby between the acquisition of games and the playing of games? With Essen fast approaching, we will no doubt see the usual photos on social media with the mountains of games that people have bought. But have you ever considered an occasional segment on the channel discussing, for example, the games I picked up in Essen the previous year and how many of them actually I got round to playing and whether or not I ended up keeping those that did get played? I appreciate your gaming habits as a content creator are going to differ from most gamers, but your channel feels much more like a playing channel than many of your peers. Uh, and Nigel says he was stressed that this is merely a discussion. No one is telling anybody else how they should be spending their own money. Really, really good question. To be honest, I would like to have a good conversation about this um, because I have my own personal thoughts on it. I will try and give you a brief answer now. But what I'm going to suggest, Nigel, if you want to be involved in this, uh, what we can do is we can find one, one evening where we're all free or a few of us are free and we can basically have a chat about it uh, and we can do it. We can hop onto my Discord server and, you know, a bunch of us who all have something to say on this, we could because this is the kind of conversation that I would love to have sat around, you know, with a pint of shandy and 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 really just talk about it right now. You're going to get my thoughts on it. But I think this is a good thing to explore. So ping me after it. And if you're interested and we'll just get together one night and we'll have a chat about it. And it won't be a live stream on the channel. It will just be for Patreon supporters. So my, my short answer to this, first of all, I don't feel any peer pressure. Um, peer pressure, if I've understood this correctly, being expectations and pressure from other content creators that I need to acquire more games, right? I don't feel any pressure from them at all. That's not to say that I don't feel pressure but a lot of that pressure has come from me. And what's happened to the hobby over the last 10, 15 years is that it's grown massively. So 10 or 15 years ago, when I was going to Essen, I would probably go there when I was just a regular gamer 
who had a normal job and I didn't have any YouTube channel and I wasn't a content creator and I wasn't an influencer, all of that stuff before gaming rules was even a, you know, a twinkle in my eye. Um, I would go to Essen and I would probably buy 15, 20 new games and I would come back and I'd be super excited and I'd get those games played. And at the time, those 15 to 20 games were, would have probably been all of the games that I wanted to pick up that Essen. Now, I go to Essen and I will come back with, I mean, if you add on the games that I've already been sent, and if you add on the games that I'm going to be sent by publishers afterwards, because some of them say, Paul, we're only taking a limited supply to Essen, we will sell them and we will just send you one when we get back home. That's fine. I probably acquire 25, 30 new games around Essen time. Um... But that's because they're new and exciting games and publishers quite often would be very generous and, and publishers will say, Paul, we'd like to have give you a copy of our game. And, you know, I'd be like, oh, great. This is great. I'm getting free games. And I've spoken about this before, that the pressure for me is from an internal source. OK, so, Keith, you mentioned, sorry, Nigel, Nigel mentioned about games that I got from last year's Essen, which I haven't yet played now. For those of you that know me, you will know that I'm a very emotional person. I wear my heart on my sleeve and I get upset about anything. <laughs> so it can be anything whatsoever. And it actually gives me bad feelings. I get a lot of bad feelings from a lot of things in life. And one of the things that I have bad feelings, I mean, honest, you know, but really, really strong bad feelings about the fact that I have games from last year's Essen that I haven't played yet. And the Essen before that. And the Essen before that. And the reason why I've got bad feelings is those publishers, they gave me their games. Now, some of them I asked for um, because the game looked interesting. And I said, oh, I'd, I'd like a review copy of this. Thank you very much. And some of them were they just were like, Paul, we want you to have our games. Now, what I've had to do in the last couple of years is I've had to say to publishers, I really appreciate this. Thank you very much for this. I can't guarantee that I'm going to cover this on the channel. I'd love to, but I simply don't have the time. And if they're okay with donating the game to me, bearing in mind, you know, me and Vicky run GridCon. GridCon is a, a convention that happens one month after Essen. Their game is going to get added to the library and other people will be playing it. So it's not like they're giving it to me and I put it on a shelf and then it doesn't get touched. It is actually going to be going into the GridCon library so that people can borrow it and play it. But I still feel bad about all of these games that I got from last year's Essen that I have not been through. So the idea of me doing a video which will literally bring up all of those bad feelings. I know a lot of people would probably want to see that, but I don't feel comfortable in doing that. Now, I would be more than happy to post a uh, uh, post something on the Slack channel. So if you're on the Slack channel, I'm more than happy to go through there, all of the games that I got from last year's Essen, which ones I haven't played yet and why I haven't played them. Uh, I'm more than happy to do that. But yeah, for, for me to do a video on it is... Um, it's not something I feel comfortable doing. Also, for those publishers who gave me a copy of their game, if they see that video and go, oh, wait a minute, we gave Paul a copy of this game. He didn't even play it. We might, we might not give him the next one. Um, but yeah, going back to the question, I, I, as I say, I don't feel any peer pressure from other people about getting the new hot games in. It's more about, and I also don't think, oh my God, Essence coming up. I'm going to have to bring back all of the new hot games and I'm going to have to do videos on all of them in order to get the views for the channel. No. Right. I will go to Essen. I will bring back the games which I'm interested in. 
and I will and I will do videos for the games that I'm interested in. I'm not just going to go to Essen and pick up all of the hot titles just because they're hot. There's already a number of hot titles on the Essen list that I have no interest in whatsoever. So they're not going to get covered on the channel. Anyway, I hope that's answered the question. But Ray's got a follow-up question. Following on from Nigel, <laughs> what do I think about all of the new games coming to Board Game Arena? Does this provide a try before you buy opportunity, a chance to get games played that you own, remove the requirement for cardboard games, or a distraction from the from the day job? First of all, what do I think about all of the new games coming to Board Game Arena? I think it's fantastic. If you don't know Board Game Arena, it is an online, it is a website where you can play games online. It's generally free. There are some games there that you need premium membership for, which is only two, two pounds a month or something ridiculous. Um, I think it's fantastic. And I think the recent growth in Board Game Arena of some amazing top quality games that are on there is fantastic. So yeah, love Board Game Arena. Um, you can play live games on there, but I play a lot of asynchronous games. So again, it's a distraction. I'm playing a lot more games than I would normally because I'm playing games on Board Game Arena as well. Uh, and yeah, it does give people the chance to try before they buy. So yeah, it's really good. Um, Ray says that your uh, my shelfie is on board game arena interesting so my shelfie is a new game that's coming from cranio creations uh which i think i might be coming home with a copy of it uh i think so i'm not sure yet i'm certainly meeting with them on the wednesday but apparently it's on board game arena already so people can literally oh and it was the same with carnegie or carnegie um yeah that was on board game arena way 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 before it was available and lots of people were playing it and they were using the stats from Board Game Arena to help tweak and balance the game. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Board Game Arena. Um, right, Paul Richards, you have five free hours sleep is the answer. Oh no, no, that's not all the options. You have five hours and you are to play a Viking themed game followed by a pirate themed game. Which games would I choose? Oh, Paul. Good questions. Right. First of all, Viking themed games. Right. Peace for Odin. That's a Viking themed game, isn't it? Peace for Odin's in my top 10 games of all time. So Feast for Odin. Absolutely. Followed by a pirate themed game. What games have I got with pirates in that I actually think are good games? Somebody in the chat, tell me. Somebody remind me. Pirate themed games. I'm looking around. Dead Reckoning, that's kind of pirates, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're you're doing piratical things. Okay, well there we go. Um, so Feast for Odin followed by Dead Reckoning. There we go. Maracaibo. People are suggesting Maracaibo. You're not really, but the, hmm, so this you're not really a pirate in Maracaibo though. But yeah, Maracaibo or Dead Reckoning. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure Maracaibo counts as a pirate game, even though there's pirates in it. Uh, but yeah, Maracaibo is also in my top 10 game, so it would it would be that one. Right, next question from Stacy. Three questions from Stacy. How many games do you play in a week? And of them, how many are purposefully for review versus just having fun with friends? 90% of the games I play are covered on the channel, I think. Um, if you look at the amount of content that I'm putting out, and if you take this week as an example, well, I'm playing Lacrimosa tonight. I'm playing Rebuilding Seattle on Friday. They're both going to be, they're all going to be covered on the channel. So 
the only times that I play games outside of what's covered on the channel is twice a month I go to the Cranbrook Games Group and once every few months they have a games day. There might be an occasional game downstairs in between streams. So if I have people over in an afternoon, if we then have time between the afternoon game and the evening game, we will sometimes play a quick game of something downstairs. Uh, and occasionally me and Vicky will play like an escape room game together or something like that. So yeah, most of the time my stuff is streamed. Um, and the reason for that is if I've got friends and they're coming round and we're going to play a game, I generally might as well stream it because the studio is all set up with the gaming table and we might as well stream it. Now, some of those streams are very much um, not polished and sometimes I will do Patreon only streams. Like if it is like, like well, last time Adrian's coming round tonight um, and Adrian's going to be playing Lacrimosa with us tonight. But the last time Adrian came round, it was a Patreon only stream. In fact, I did a Patreon only day of content. So I had friends around all day and we played loads of games and they were all streamed, but it was only to Patreon supporters because it was very much a behind the scenes view. Um, yeah, so most most of the games are, are are streamed. They are not purposefully for review purposes. I'm not doing them because I'm not sponsored. I'm playing Lacrimosa tonight. This is not a sponsored video because I'm super excited about this game because it's from Devia and Devia do great games. So although I mentioned earlier on, I have no interest in the theme. I'm really looking forward to the game because I, I trust in Devere to, to make good games. Second question from Stacey. A while back, you proclaimed that you were no longer taking rules design projects except for Vital Lacerda games. Have I been holding to that? Um, mostly, yes. So a few things to say on that. Um, I was supposed to be working on Vital's latest rulebook, which was Inventions, uh, but due to a combination of circumstances, that's not happened. And another editor, um, Nathan, he, he's taken on the job of doing the inventions rulebook. I'm going to be doing a little bit of consultancy on it. So I'm basically going to spend a day once the rulebook is finished reading through it and giving my opinion on it. But I'm not actually getting involved in the, the writing or the editing work. So I've been doing some rulebook consultancy, uh, which is where, as I say, where a publisher sends me a rulebook either at the start of the process, the middle of the process, or the end of the process, and I evaluate that rule book and I tell them, you know, what's wrong with it and what they need to do to fix it. Now, a few months ago, probably a few months ago, uh, yeah, maybe three, four months ago, um, I did something which I, I, I now regret, and that is I did rule book consultancy for a couple of smaller games, and both of the rule books were, well, one of them was awful like un if that rule book would have gone out with the game nobody would have been able to play the game correctly there were ambiguities there were inconsistencies there were errors i mean we're not talking typos here we're talking literally this rule book is of no use whatsoever there was another rule book that was also not very good people might have been able to play with it but again it had inconsistencies and it had errors in it and my job was the to provide them with the consultancy and tell them what was wrong with the rulebook. And in both of those cases, I say, you need to hire an editor and they need to do a lot of work to rewrite this rulebook. But in both of those cases, I ended up doing that job. Now, I did that job because from the rulebook consultancy that I'd done, I already knew exactly what was needed. So I offered and I said, look, I don't normally take on editing, but 
I have just spent a day and a half learning this game, evaluating it. You know, I know exactly what's wrong with this rule book and I know exactly how to fix it. So I, I took on that job of rewriting that rule book. And the reason why I regretted it is because it ended up being more work than I thought it would be. And it it dragged me back into a really stressful situation, which I tried to get out of. Um, so I'm going to try not to do that anymore. Now, I'm still doing the rulebook consultancy, but what I do is I provide the consultancy and then I say, right, and you now need to go and hire an editor. But it's really good for me because I'm using all of the skills that I've built up with regards to rulebooks and I'm identifying the problems and I'm identifying the problem areas and saying, these are the bits you need to go and fix. And if they go and fix them, then that rulebook will be better. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still sticking to that. I am currently not working on any rulebook writing projects, which is really good. And I'm still really busy. I don't know how I'm still as busy as I was. Um, next question, have I played many Mind Clash games? And if so, how would you rank them based on your personal experience? I've played all of them, except for the very latest one. The latest one that's just come out, Astra. Uh, I've not played that, but the others I have. Trickerian, Anachrony, Cerebria, Perseverance, I've played the new one as well, Septima. Have I missed one? I think they are all of the Mind Clash games. Um, so Mind Clash games are one of my favourite publishers. I'm saying that because I love the uh, style of the games that they do. I love the amount of effort. They are a professional client now and I've become friends with them over the years. I've done various bits of work for them. Um, they got a Voidfall coming out at some point as well. Out of all of those... I'm leaning towards Anachrony being my favourite one, but I also really enjoy Perseverance. Trickerian is an extremely good game, but I can't seem to play it well, so I really struggle with Trickerian. It's not to say it isn't a good game. Cerebria, I think, is a work of genius. I think it's fantastic. It just... It's a massive, massive learning curve to get into the game and possibly too high for a lot of people. Cerebria didn't manage to find its target audience, unfortunately. But yeah, Perseverance and, and Anachrony are probably my favourite too. Although, when Voidfall comes out, we'll see. I'm not sure. Voidfall, from my one play of it, was brilliant. Um, but I know they've been developing it and changing a lot of things. So, yeah. I, I class that as, I have played it. But the version I played was a prototype version and wasn't the final version. So, yeah. Next question from Paul Snugs. Um, accepting your desire to paint miniatures, but considering the length of time required to do a reasonable paint job... Do I think I will paint ISS Vanguard before I play it or leave it sun-dropped? Well, as of this afternoon, I have just agreed with Awakened Realms that I will be doing a sponsored playthrough of, of Tainted Grail, of ISS Vanguard. And I'm looking at scheduling it in as soon as I get back from Essen, which means the question is moot because I won't have any time. But it's a good question because... And if you're interested, I did an unboxing video of um, ISS Vanguard yesterday. Yesterday. If you're interested, have a look at my unboxing video of ISS Vanguard yesterday because I've got the sun-dropped miniatures and I, sh I zoom in on them and I show them in great detail. And I'll say what I said in the unboxing video. Awaken Realms, for me, make possibly the best miniatures that I've ever seen in a game in terms of the sculpts, the moulds and everything. Their miniatures are amazing. And the sun-drop on the sundrop effect on the ISS Vanguard miniatures is amazing. It looks really, really good. And it does seem a shame to paint them. And part of me looked at them and went, right, I don't need to paint these because the sundrop effect looks really, really good. And then 
I saw some pictures of them painted and went, that looks really good. So yeah, I certainly will not be painting them before the playthrough. As for whether I then actually do repaint them afterwards, I don't know. There's, there's part of me that thinks it's wrong to repaint a sun-dropped mini. You feel the same, don't you? Vicky, I think Vicky feels the same. Yeah, she's nodding. Um, but as I say, I've seen some painted ones and they look good. Right, question two. If the answer was leave it sun-dropped, which it was, we've gone down the, the, the right-hand branch of the flowchart, we've opened the, the green door. How do you feel about painting other mini intensive games in future? Maybe do I DIY sun-dropped? Um, yeah, so the, yeah, it's a good question. Sun-dropped minis do look better than unpainted minis. So I think what you're saying is, if I've got a mini heavy game, would I spend an evening and effectively just wash them all using a sun-drop, do a sun-drop effect on all of them, just so that they are better than the grey plastic? I've not considered that, but considering I really don't like plain grey plastic, it's something that I would consider. For me, though, I'd be thinking, well, at some point in future, I might I might paint this miniature. So maybe I shouldn't do a sun drop effect on it. But yeah, no, it's a good question. Right. Next question is from Alex. Hi, Paul. If you win or lose a game, do you prefer to win or lose by a big margin or a small margin? That's a really good question. I've been doing these live Q&As for about three years, three and a half years. And that's it. That's a, nobody's asked that before. It's a really good question. Um, by a small margin, I if I win a game and I win by a huge amount, I refer back to my previous mention of bad feelings and negative emotions. If I'm playing a game, especially on a live stream, and this has happened, it happened a few months ago, a couple of months ago. I can't remember what the game was, but I won by massive, massive amount and I felt bad. I actually got bad feelings about that. Um, so yeah, I mean, if I win the game by a point, fantastic. In fact, if I win a game on tiebreaker, even better, because I like games to be close. So yeah, for me, I definitely don't like to win by a huge amount. I don't feel any personal satisfaction for that, really. I want I want it to be a, you know, a good close game. Right, next question from Neil. Sorry if this has been asked before, but he's missed it. Uh, oh, this is another good question. So yes, uh, nearly saying, I know you get asked fairly regularly how I got into rulebook writing, but how did I get into YouTube content creation? Now, I could talk about this for ages, but I'll give you the short answer because you're absolutely right, Neil. So many times over the past few years, a lot of people said, Paul, how did you get into rulebook writing? And I tell the story and it's a long story. How did I get into YouTube content creation, which came before the rulebook writing? Did it? Yes and no. I was doing rulebook editing a little bit for CGE before Gaming Rules started. Um, but then I formed Gaming Rules with the idea to create video content. And then I accidentally fell into rulebook writing. But how did I get into it? So the short answer is I was getting very demoralized with my career and the job that I was in. And I was having various issues uh, with some of the people at the place where I worked. And I wanted to do something outside of that and i'm not saying that i wanted to leave my job and start a career creating content this was not my intention at all but i've been passionate about games my whole life i've been a teacher of games almost my whole life 
a lot every gaming group that I've been a member of I've been the one that's always taught the games and I think I'm quite good at teaching people how to play games so one day and I can't remember when this was but I came up with an idea and this was all my own idea that I would create a YouTube channel and that I would make videos of me teaching somebody how to play a game and that was my idea and I came up with this idea and I told a few friends and they went oh you mean you mean like Rodney Smith does with Watch It Played and I'm like who and I hadn't heard of him um, so I went onto his YouTube channel and I went oh yeah that's exactly the idea that I had um, so yeah it was the, the my whole idea of getting into creating videos was because I'm passionate about games I'm passionate about teaching people how to play games and I want people to play games by the correct rules so if I make rules videos on how to play games um, I was also frustrated by some YouTubers getting rules wrong and I thought well you know if you can't beat them then join them whatever the phrase is um, so that's how, that's how I started I had absolutely no intention that it would become a, a full-time career for me it was supposed to be just a, a fun hobby thing that I did in the background and then of course eight years later well nine years later I'm now doing it full-time well I was doing it full-time it didn't take long actually to transition into it full-time um, next question from Tom as a relatively new gamer and a person in his mid-50s he finds himself somewhat shy about approaching people to play games at conventions or at local gaming stores especially when they are much younger has age ever been an inhibitor for me in similar situations and if so how to overcome it um it hasn't so i've been quite lucky in a way um as i say i've been a gamer for you know since i was you know knee high to a grasshopper whatever the phrase is um where did that phrase come from knee high to a grasshopper anyway so it's, it's never been an in never been an inhibitor for me um what i find a little bit strange now is that most of the people who I engage with on a regular basis and most of the people who I play games with and when I look at the other content creators that I spend time chatting to most of them are either between half and one generation younger than me and I speak to them just as if they are my peer and they're an equal because they are if if I know somebody who is a content creator and he's got his own YouTube channel and he's making videos and he's playing games and he likes the same kind of games I play the fact that he's in his 20s and I'm in my 50s makes no difference to me whatsoever now I do have the advantage of the power of the internet and you're just talking to people it's a very very different feeling from if you are walking into a room as you say in a local gaming store or at a convention and you see a group of 20 year olds 30 year olds all sat around playing games I can understand how you might be uncomfortable uh, in approaching them. I don't have any fixes for that, unfortunately, other than I'm sure that if you just, if there was a space at the table and you sat down and you joined them, if, if they are anything like me, who is at the table makes no difference. It doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what colour is your skin, doesn't matter whether you're male, female or alien or whatever. If you want to play a board game, you're welcome at the table and you can play a board game um yeah if i can help any more let me know i would recommend coming to gridcon although there's only going to be about 20 tickets left and they're going to sell out on saturday at noon um because gridcon is a very open friendly convention but i will offer you this tom wherever you are in the country and i don't know where you are let me know but if there's ever a convention that you're going to which i'm going to 
feel free to drop me a message and I'll be more than happy to set up a table of 50-year-olds playing board games. I mean, you can play a game together. Um, right, next question from Phil. What is my favourite bar stroke restaurant which I will visit in Essen? Well, there's only one and that is Fitzpatrick's. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know whether it's my favourite bar and restaurant, but Essen for me is not about going to nice restaurants and going to bars and things like that. Essen for me is going to the halls during the day, meeting people, playing a couple of games, meeting up with publishers, and then going back to the hotel in the evening, grabbing some food, grabbing some quick, cheap food on the way home, and then spending the evening at the hotel chatting with friends, patron supporters, and maybe playing a game. That's what I did last year, and it was fantastic. I even came back a little bit, a couple of, a couple of times. I came back like an hour or two early, and I just came back, chilled in the hotel, read through the Ark Nova rule book, and then people joined me, and then we just sat and chilled and played games. So Essen for me is not about the going out and partying. I see lots of other stuff from other content creators going, look, here we are at a bar, we're having fun, we're doing all of this stuff. I'm like, not interested in that. I don't, I'm not really down for all of that sort of stuff. Now, saying that, I am having a gaming rules meetup at Fitzpatrick's uh, on Thursday night. So if you're a patron supporter and you want to come along, Fitzpatrick's on Thursday night, that's where I will be. But every other night, I'll probably be playing a game in the hotel and then doing a doing a video log. Um, also, if you could go watch a Formula One Grand Prix at one and only one of the tracks, either in use or historically, where would you go and why? You'd like to have a seat at the Casino Hairpin at the Monaco race. Uh, that's because you watched it on Sunday afternoon from an early age. Right. I don't know, actually. Which... Which Grand Prix track would I get? I, I'm, I'm a Formula One fan and I like watching Formula One on TV. I've never really been that bothered about going and actually seeing. We, we talked about it a few times. We thought, oh, maybe for my 50th, we'll go to Silverstone or something like that. Just so we, we've been to the Silverstone Grand Prix. But the more I think about it, I want to sit at home and, and watch it on TV because then you see absolutely everything. I'm not really somebody who, oh, you'll enjoy it more if you're there or you get the smell of the engines or I'm not really bothered about any of that. Um, so I'm definitely a, a TV watcher. Yeah, I don't know which track that I would like to see, to be honest. Any thoughts? No. Sorry, I can't answer that one. Right, that's it. That's all of the questions that we've been asked beforehand. What time is it? Five past six. So we've been going for an hour. It's normally a bit longer than normal. I probably I probably spent 15 minutes on Nigel's question. Right, just before we go to the live questions, quick mention again about the contest. If you're watching this right now, either live or afterwards, you can enter the contest. All you need to do is click on the link that Vicky's going to put in the chat, uh, enter the form, enter the details into the form. Secret word is Mozart. And if you are a patron supporter, you get two entries. Speaking of the patron, big thank you to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel. For those of people who, people who don't know, um, I used my patron campaign to fund the channel. This live Q&A, for example, right now, nobody's paying for this apart from patron supporters. Tonight, we are doing a playthrough of Lacrimosa, uh, and that's that's not paid for. So it's the Patreon support that pays for that. Uh, and why do I require Patreon support when all I'm doing is playing games with friends? Well, got lighting equipment to buy, microphones to buy, cameras to buy, and it takes a long time to set up the studio, set everything up all ready for people coming around. And this is one of those things that um, I speak to people about now and again. When you're watching one of my live playthroughs and you've seen a live playthrough and it's been like a two and a half hour game, that's probably taken me about eight hours in total to do because I've got to learn, get the game, learn the game, 
practice the game, set the studio up, set all the microphones up, do all of the planning, invite people around. All of that stuff takes a long, long time to do. And then afterwards, you've got to put everything away. So yeah, it does take a long time. Now saying that, tonight's game, I haven't even learned how to play yet. Uh, <laughs> so that's going to be fun. We're playing Lacrimosa tonight and I don't actually know how to play it yet. Um, but yeah, big thank you to all of my patron supporters. And if you are in a position that you're able to help fund the channel, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Right. Moving on to the questions that we've been asked live. First question is from Mark. Uh, the question is for you. Will you play ISS Vanguard with me? Now, I can answer that question. Will Vicky play ISS Vanguard with me on a live stream? No. Will Vicky play ISS Vanguard with me? Not sure. Because she did enjoy Tainted Grail, and although ISS Vanguard is not Tainted Grail in space, it is by the same designers, and even though mechanically it's a, it couldn't be more different if it tried, the parts of Tainted Grail which Vicky liked is more the narrative side of things, and I'm hoping that that narrative side of things in ISS Vanguard is of similar quality, I think. But you're also less of a sci-fi person than a fantasy person, generally speaking. I want I wanted to play it with me. Well, I want to play it, and I have more chance of playing it if I play it with Vicky, uh, which is, yeah. What? There we go. Uh, next question from Graham. What is my favourite question? I think this one. I think we could get into a circular loop here. <laughs> I tell you what, my favourite question so far from all the ones that I've been asked today are the one from Alex about would I prefer to win by a little amount or a big amount? Because that's a question which is a really simple, good question. So I like that one. Um, next question from Weijen. Uh, what is my favourite fighting fantasy title and why? Well, I've played a few of them. And I remember Death Trap Dungeon being brilliant, but I've not played it in a long time. But of all of the ones that I've covered on the streams, so for those of you that don't know, once or twice a year, I will play through a fighting fantasy book, usually over Christmas time. Um, and we've done Freeway Fighter, we've done City of Thieves, we did a, we did a one page of uh, one day where we did Forest of Doom, but we didn't finish it. And we did Caverns of the Snow Witch. Out of all of those, my favourite one was actually Freeway Fighter. And that's because it actually felt like time stories. Freeway Fighter was a choose your own adventure book type thing, fighting fantasy novel, but every time you played it, you learned more. So you learned that, oh, if you went that way and you didn't have petrol, you, you, you died and it was game over. Or if you went this way and you did that. So that we played it over, I don't know how many times we actually died, um, but we played it over a series of four or five days and it was a great experience because I was playing it on the YouTube channel and people in the chat were joining in uh, and it was just a really, really good uh, feeling that I had playing it. And I, I was making a map and then the more and more we played it, we learned the route to go through more so than some of the other games. Um, yeah, and I really, I really enjoyed that. So yeah, Freeway Fighter was, was definitely one of my favourite ones that I played recently. Uh, Sergio says, he's a beginner who always plays solo. We seem to have some similar tastes, so my opinion is important to him. Which one, Spirit Island or Too Many Bones? They're both good games. They're both very different games. And I can't help but 
So Too Many Bones has a big learning curve. Spirit Island also has a big learning curve, but the Too Many Bones learning curve is made harder because the rulebook is not great. Um, you need a lot of help to get started with Too Many Bones. You need to watch playthroughs, you need to watch instructional videos, you need to have some kind of chip installed to understand the hieroglyphics of those character reference sheets. Um, and if you're a fan of Too Many Bones and you think Paul's talking nonsense, the game's dead easy. It's not. It's really hard and it has a massive learning curve. I'm not saying Spirit Island doesn't have a learning curve, but I think it's less of a curve. Um, I don't know which, right. Which one would I play right now, solo, if given the choice? Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. They're both good. Probably Spirit Island, but only just only because I need to give you an answer. But to be honest, I would if you gave me both of those games and said, Paul, you've got to either play Spirit Island solo or Too Many Bones solo. They're both really good. Right now, I would play Spirit Island because I haven't played Too Many Bones in a long time. And therefore, if I did play it, I would have to be relearning the rules and I know that I would get stuck. And if I played a character that I didn't know, I would seriously struggle to understand the hieroglyphics on the sheet and I wouldn't know how it played. Whereas Spirit Island, I could pick it up and probably be able to play it with less of a problem. Oof. Right, next question is from Keith. Uh, if you could persuade two board game designers to do a joint effort, who would they be? Oh, that's a really good question. Two board game designers who haven't designed a game before together. Maybe Blarge Shavattle and Isaac Childress. Because there was supposed to be a game that the three of us were working on and then it fell apart. But yeah, yeah. I think if Larger and Isaac got together and designed a game together, I'd probably sell my entire collection uh, and just play that. No, I wouldn't. I'm just saying it just for the dramatic effect. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Isaac and Vlad, you get them together. Right. Next. Genway says, do I have any advice for somebody who is not from the tabletop game industry looking to work in it? Especially work that has nothing much similar than a, like a classical musician. Do I have advice for somebody who is not from the tabletop game industry looking for work in it? Especially work that has nothing much similar than like a classical musician. Right. So this is a question that I do get asked quite a lot from people on the outside who look at me and go, oh, Paul works full time in the industry. I want to do that because surely it's all about playing games all the time. It's not. But um, how do you get into it? The way that I got into what is now my career is a bit of an unusual one that I don't think most people would be able to do. It's because I already had a solid relationship with a number of publishers when I formed Gaming Rules and I then went professional. And that relationship that I had was the basis for me building on that. I think if you were to say, I'm gonna do what Paul does, I'm gonna leave my job, I'm gonna set up my own company and I'm gonna to go to publishers and say, can I do sponsored playthrough videos? Can I write your rule books, et cetera, et cetera. They're gonna go, who are you? You know, we don't know who you are. Um, so my only advice is, that you need to build up, you need to establish some kind of working relationship with these publishers. And that might end up being free work. Now, I hate the idea that somebody works and doesn't get paid for it. But when I started for the first few years, again, before Gaming Rules was a thing, 
I was helping out game companies by helping them edit their rules, proofread their rules, check their rules, test their games. And I wasn't charging for it because I had a job. I had a full-time job and I was a fan of their games. I loved what I was doing. It was brilliant. I was getting to play their games. I was getting to help them with the rule books. Essentially, I was working for free. And I don't like the idea of anybody working for free, but that's what I did. And I didn't do it in order to get where I am now. I did it because I wanted to help out. Um, so yeah, find some game companies, approach them, try and build up a relationship with them. And yeah, go from there and see what you can do. Uh, next question from Skip. How many times have you played Lacrimosa and does it keep getting better? Uh, right, so I zero uh, and I will be playing it tonight. If you want to see us playing it tonight, tune in. 8 o'clock, GM, uh, not GMT, 8 o'clock UK time, 7pm GMT. In two hours from now, I will be playing Lacrimosa on the channel and then we will all be giving our thoughts on the game afterwards because it's not a sponsored playthrough tonight. Um, and I'll let you know then. Does it get better the more times you play it? Probably for the first few times, like with most games. The first couple of times I'm kind of just learning the rules. Uh, and after that, I get into a sweet spot where I'm like, right, I know the game now. I can just enjoy it. Uh, next question from Bobby. Uh, oh, <laughs> as I know you haven't yet played Lacrimosa, will you do a review or share your feedback after playing it? Yes, exactly. That's, that's what I'm going to do. After the game tonight, at the end of the live stream, we are all going to be sharing our initial thoughts on the game good or bad. I don't generally do review videos anymore, but I do do a monthly video log. And my next monthly video log will be filmed when I get back from Essen. And I talk about all of the games that I've played since the last video log. So I will be covering what I thought about Lacrimosa in my next video log. Or go to tonight's live stream, which you can get to either tonight or tomorrow, whenever, and just skip to the end and see what we think about it. Bearing in mind, that will be my initial thoughts. But Playing Lacrimosa tonight will be the only time I get to play it before doing the video log. Because I'll be doing the video log when I get back from Essen. Uh, next question from Jim. Which game do I consider the most complex that I have played? So, On Mars was pretty complex. I'm trying to think of another game that I've played... Yeah, and again, I'm looking to the chat for this. If anybody knows of a game that I've played, I mean, I've played Through the Ages. I've played Mage Knight. They are both very complex games and on Mars. So Mage Knight Through the Ages on Mars. If we're talking modern games, if we go back, back to the 80s, I dabbled with a couple of Avalon Hill games at the time and it just it was a complete disaster and I never really played it. So not counting those, like I probably tried playing... Um, the Vietnam game once, which was like, takes like 200 hours to play or something like that. I mean, I never really played it. Um, yeah, Trickerian. Yeah, I don't think Trickerian's as complex as On Mars or Through the Ages or Mage Knight. So, yeah, I think probably those three are probably the most complex games I've played. Um, uh, Zod is asking, how do I come to do gaming rules on YouTube and any reason you don't do game reviews? Uh, so I've mentioned earlier on how I started with the channel. The reason why I don't do reviews, because I used to do reviews on the channel, and the reviews were fairly popular. But when I started doing reviews, I started doing what was called Paul's Quick and Dirty 5-Minute Reviews. And that was a great idea. And the idea was that I would basically just sit here and I would tell you what I thought about the game in five minutes. Uh, 
And I did a few of those and they were called quick and dirty five minute reviews or whatever. And then as I started doing them, I felt I've got more to say. Five minutes is not enough for me to tell you what I think. So it, it crept up and it started becoming eight minutes and then it started becoming 10 minutes and then it started becoming 15 minutes. And my my later reviews that I did were all between sort of 12 and 15 minutes long. And because nobody wants to sit and just listen to me talking for 15 minutes, even though you've been sitting here for an hour and 20, um, and some content creators can get away with just talking at the camera for 15 minutes. I wanted to create a review video which had still images, it had some video, it had it had lots of extra stuff in it. And in order to do a review of a game, if you're reviewing a game, you've got to have played it a few times, you've got to played it at the different player counts, etc, etc. So the later reviews that I did, I was finding was taking me about two and a half days of work in order to create the review. And of course, that's unpaid work, right? That's two and a half days. And I'm having to play a game multiple times and then write the review and then film the review and then edit the review. And it wasn't worth it. So I decided that I was going to stop doing reviews. And instead of doing the reviews, I would use the time to do more playthroughs, because in my opinion, me doing a playthrough and then telling you what I think about the game is more useful as a viewer. Now, it has to be said that my review videos got way more views than my playthrough videos, but I don't create videos in order to get the most views. If I did, I would stop doing live playthroughs because live playthroughs do not get that many views. I'd be doing, you know, I'd be doing short 10 minute videos where I use clickbait titles and say all sorts of stuff. They're the ones that get the views on YouTube. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so that's, that's, so to say that I don't do reviews is correct in that I don't actually do review videos anymore, but I do do reviews of games, but I just talk about them at various other times. Right, we are 20 past six. So we need to disappear at 6.30 because we've got to get food and then I've got to learn how to play Lacrimosa for tonight. So what I will say is a big thank you to everybody who has been watching this. I am going to finish by answering all of the questions that have been asked up to date, but no more questions, please. If you have any questions for me, please leave them till next month. Right, so let's wrap up and finish the questions that we've got. Genway wants to know, do I get to play games much when I'm at the Spiel? Not really. Um, I may get to go, I may, as I say, last year I went back to the hotel and I had the evenings and we played maybe half a game of Ark Nova and maybe half a game of Boon Lake. But my evenings were generally a sort of wind down social thing. Very different from 10 years ago or 10 or 15 years ago. Spiel would all be about playing games. This is before I worked um, at the event. I would go to Spiel, we'd be there in the morning, we'd play as many games as we could, we'd go back to the hotel, we'd play games all night, we'd play games till... I mean, I remember playing uh, a game of Grand Austria Hotel in my hotel room with Vita Lacerda at three o'clock in the morning and he fell asleep and I had to wake him up to take his turn. Uh, they were the good old days. But no, now Essen is a bit more... I mean, I'm going to be demoing Frosthaven at Essen for a lot of the day. Then I've got some meetings. Uh, then I'll be chatting with patron supporters and things like that. And then I, I want it a little bit more subdued. So I'm not going to Essen with a look at playing lots and lots of games. Uh, Ezra says he heard, just heard for, that Johannes from Board Game Ramblings was very, 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 very pleased with the ISS Vanguard rulebook. Well, he's not told me. 
Um, but that's very good. Did I know that it would go over well or was I waiting with bated breath? That's a really good question, Ezra, um, because. And I don't want this to sound come across as sounding too arrogant, and I say that phrase a lot, but I knew that the ISS Vanguard rulebook was going to be the best rulebook that Awakened Realms have ever done. And I, I and I'm and I'm confident with that, and it's because I've read some of their older rulebooks and I worked on this one. And I'm not saying, oh well, this rulebook is the best one they've ever done because I worked on it. It's kind of what I'm saying, but I don't mean it to sound like that. More work went into the ISS Vanguard rulebook than any of their other rulebooks, and they hired me to do it rather than doing it internally. And I think that shows. Now, the ISS Vanguard rulebook is not perfect. Unfortunately, there is a thread on BGG with a few little things, um, some of which are my fault. So I take full responsibility for that. And I can tell you exactly how those problems happened. Uh, step six of the dice check moved. Steps five and six got swapped around at some point in development. And the whole process, uh, pro process of where injury dice go got changed two or three times. Uh, and then the last time they were changed, we changed it in one place of the rulebook, but didn't change it in another place of the rulebook. That's how these things happen, unfortunately, but that's on me. Uh, and there's a colon missing on page 73 or something. Um, but no, I, I was I was confident that the rulebook was, was good. Uh, and I was confident the rulebook is the best rulebook that Awakened Realms have ever done. But I'm always nervous after doing a rulebook because I just know some people are going to find some issues with it. Um, overall, the feedback has been positive. There have been a couple of people that said the rulebook is not good as a reference guide for looking things up. You let me know. I mean, that, that's, that's down to you. For me, I think everything in the rulebook was in the right place. And there's an index on the back with a full list of everything in the game and where it points to. I, I think the rulebook is a good rulebook for looking things up. I think the tutorial was some of the best work that I've ever done in terms of writing it and, and, and how it works. So, yeah, I'm really pleased with it, considering that was that was one of my last rulebook projects before I retired from rulebook writing. Um, have I ever this is from Jim. Have I ever given up trying to learn games rules? And what game is that the hardest for you to learn? Too Many Bones. So before Too Many Bones featured on this channel, the, my introduction to Too Many Bones was getting a copy of Undertow from, it was either Gen Con or Origins, probably about four years ago. And I was very excited about it because Ricky Royal has covered it on his channel. I had friends in America that talked about it. The component quality was out of this world. This is a fantasy cooperative, you know, chip building, dice building, RPG. I love it. This is this sounds great. Look at this. This is fantastic. Right. Tried playing it with the undertow rulebook and gave up. And then a couple of weeks later, tried again and gave up. And then a few weeks after that, tried again and gave up. I tried three times learning Too Many Bones Undertow from the rulebook and gave up each time. Um, it, it, it broke me. I, I could not learn how to play the game. As I mentioned earlier on, there is a big uphill learning curve with Too Many Bones and it's, it's an uphill learning curve, not like Mage Knight or Through the Ages, which have good rulebooks where there is a learning curve, but if you stick at it, you'll get there. Too Many Bones rulebook, 
sorry to say, is is not a good rule book. And the hieroglyphic reference sheets just or some of them are just impossible. I, I can't understand what they do. So, yeah, it, it broke me. Now, since then, I've covered too many bones on the channel a lot. And lots of people have been helping me and there's lots of good videos out there. Um, but it is still a game which has got a massive learning curve and is really hard to get into. Worth it, I think. But even then, the Stanza character from Undertow, I still don't understand how Stanza works at all. And I've played too many bones lots. Um, next question from Zoctol. Would I consider getting an editor to help with editing and giving me the ability to focus more on the administrative production of videos? So I don't really do the rulebook editing anymore. Um, so, oh, I see what you mean. Editing the videos. Absolutely not. Um, the reason for that is I love the editing of videos. Okay. So, and I've heard other content creators actually outsource their editing to either a friend or somebody else, and they just provide them with all of the video footage and the audio, and, and then somebody else edits it together. The most enjoyable part of video creation for me is sitting down with Premiere Pro and making that film. I absolutely love it. So I am not going to put that off on somebody else when it's, it's my favourite part of the process. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, next question from Istvan. Any thoughts about Tainted Grail 2? Yes, I have thoughts on Tainted Grail 2. Um, they will manage to get together the first work that it was bleeding from so many wounds. Yes, so Tainted Grail 2, um, which is King of Ruin, which is on Game Found right now, it launched yesterday, uh, is, is a new expansion for Tainted Grail. I think it's a standalone expansion, but they are also, as I mentioned earlier on, they are updating and fixing a lot of the problems that were found with the fall of Avalon, which was the first Tainted Grail campaign. Tainted Grail, as I've mentioned before, I liked Tainted Grail a lot more than a lot of other people. I know when it came out, there were there were a lot of reviews slating it um, for various reasons. And I, and I understood some of the points they were making, but we absolutely loved playing the campaign for the narrative driven thing. The combat did get a little bit, bit repetitive now and again. And I think the the power curve through the game is a bit bonkers. It starts off way too difficult and ends a little bit too easy. But from a narrative driven game and a storyline and a branching storyline, it was fantastic. So yeah, very excited about the new version. And although I wasn't one of the content creators that were asked to cover the expansion, which is a shame, um, everything that I have heard about it is that this new version fixes everything that a lot of people had problems with the previous version. So I'm very, very, very excited about the new version. Um, we still have only played campaign one. We haven't played the other two campaigns yet. We want to, we both want to, it's just a case of time, but I'm probably gonna wait until this new version comes out and, and fixes some of the things. Um, uh, the Awakened Realms have also asked me to create a how to play video for the new version of the game. Uh, and I've got that booked into my calendar for the summer of next year. They also wanted me, after the work that I did on ISS Vanguard, they wanted me to be the writer and the editor of the new Tainted Grail rulebook. And if I was still doing it as a job, I would have loved to have. But I've said, unfortunately, I, I have stepped back. I don't do that anymore. Then then came to me a month later and said, Paul, we really would like you to do the rulebook editing for Tainted Grail 2. And I said, I really appreciate you asking, but I, I just can't do that. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a help from a consultancy point of view. Um, but hopefully they're going to find a good writer and editor for, for the new rulebook. 
Uh, right. Last few questions before we finish things up because it is 6.30. Um, have I ever considered to design a game myself or are you doing it? Short answer, because I, again, I could talk for 10 minutes about this. I've spent probably 30 years of my life wanting to design a game. Okay, I've got so many ideas for games in my head all of the time that until about, was it about four or five years ago, was frustrating me. And I would spend a lot of time and mental energy on coming up with ideas, writing things down. I eventually did one. I eventually finished a game design and printed it out and made it and it was playable. And a number of people played it at various conventions. It wasn't very good, but it was playable. Some people liked bits of it, but it was a game that if I'd have actually pushed it through and finished it, people would have played it once or twice and gone, that was okay. And then it would have gone. Um, I have high expectations of myself. And if I want to design a game, it has to be a mage knight or a through the ages. And it's not going to be. I have found my place in the board game hobby and the board game industry, and that is not a game designer. I am a game developer, and I think I'm pretty good at development. I'm also pretty good at rule books, and I'm good at making videos. I'll stick to that. As far as me designing a game, that isn't within my skill set. And I've discovered that um, through a lot of time and effort spent trying to do it and realising, hmm, no, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to a game developer. Next question from Jenway. Do I have any advice for somebody who hardly wins, especially head to head with a friend, but winning shouldn't matter too much if you really like close games? Um, again, I, I'm quite lucky in the way that I win some games and I lose some games. I'm not in the position where I always win and I'm not in a position where I always lose. If I was to always lose and never win, advice, I'm not sure. That's actually another good question for the guild. So let, let's get that question over on the guild. Chrissy, if you can do this, there's going to be Genway's question is going to be asked on the guild. And this is a question for somebody who never wins, somebody who always loses at games. And I can't honestly answer this because that's not me. But if you are one of those people that always loses at games, you know, how do you how do you deal with that? Do you and, and if you're watching this uh, back afterwards and you've got any comments that you want to put in this in this video, then let us know. Uh, is it just that you just enjoy playing the games? Does it demoralize you? Can you do anything about it? Or yeah, is it a good question. Next question from Matt's penultimate question. Will there be a video showing and comparing the two Frosthaven inserts? Not sure yet. I have both inserts. I have put together the folded space one. I wanted to do the Laser Rocks one before Essen, but I'm not going to have time. So yeah, I'll, I, I'm going to plan to do something like that. I have both both inserts, and in my mind, I went, oh, it'd be great to do a video comparing them. But to do that, I'm going to have to have, yeah, I'd like to do that, and it's on my list of things to do when I get back from Essen, but I need to build the Laser Rocks insert first, and it will need to be a video where I film one, and show how it all works and then literally transfer everything to the other and then do another video. It sounds like a great idea and I would like to do it, but it took me about four hours to put together, maybe longer, maybe four or five hours to put together the folded space one and put all of the components in it that then I'm going to have to do that with the laser rocked one. It's basically, it's going to be an entire day just to do that video. And that's a day out of all of the other stuff that I have to do. So yeah, I'd like to do it. Final question from Brett. If money was no object and you decided to do a Chip Theory Games giveaway to your patrons, what would be the signature gaming rules item you would give away? Oh, I don't understand the question. 
because you've mentioned chip theory games. If money was no object and you decided to do a chip theory games giveaway to your patrons, what would be the signature gaming rules item you would give away? You mean like the sword? So not, not a chip theory games giveaway, but a chip theory games like giveaway. You missed the hyphen like. That's why I got confused. Um, What would I give away? If money, right, money was no object, well, I... I don't know. I mean, anybody got any ideas in the chat? If so, if I could go and buy some, would it be like a a metal Jaffa cake engraved with gaming rules or something like that? But then again, that's that's advertising for McVitie's. Um, yeah, some some gaming rules. What have you wrote? A soft toy meeple. Oh yeah, you mean like, um, or I could get Josh's. Where's um, where's William? William was around. William has been put safe somewhere because I used William yesterday. I think it's outside somewhere. Anyway, yeah, so something like William. Uh, yeah, a helicopter, obviously gaming rules helicopter. Um, it might be something. Here's William. Yeah, so it might be something which actually combines a lot of things. So it would be something with cats on it. Um, it might be something with a Jaffa cake on it. So it might might be something like a gift pack with various things in. Um, and yeah, yeah, get 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 Joshua's missus to make 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 some of these. So th these are really nice. But yeah, could get one with like a gaming rules logo on it or something like that. But yeah, all good ideas. All good ideas. Right, we're all done. So just before we wrap things up. Two things to mention. First of all, big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters again. And if you want to support the channel and help contribute to me making more videos like this one and the one that I'm doing tonight, patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Uh, second, contest. Again, if you're watching this live or you're watching this back afterwards, you have about 28 days. The next live Q&A will be the last Wednesday of October. So you've got between now and then to enter the contest. It's free to enter. Uh... £50 worth of games vouchers. £25 of that comes from me. £25 of that comes from Games Law. So yeah, you could win £50 worth of games vouchers. Um, and Keith will let us know uh, what he's going to buy with the vouchers that he won. And the third thing I was going to mention is Lacrimosa playthrough tonight. So yeah, Lacrimosa playthrough on the channel tonight. If you can't watch it live, that's fine. It will be on the channel. You can watch it later. This Saturday, we're going to be doing an Essen pre-essence show going through all of that and in fact on friday night so yeah what day is it now wednesday so today live q a lacrimosa tonight tomorrow my weather machine video goes live it's not it's not a live video it's already done it was done a couple of months ago but my how to play video for weather machine goes live tomorrow if you're interested in that check that out friday we'll be playing rebuilding seattle which is a new game coming from WizKids. Uh, that's happening on friday night saturday is the pre-essence show and then I've got two more videos that I need to make live before Essen, which is the how to play video for Deal with the Devil and an undaunted Stalingrad video that my Patreon supporters have already seen. But I will be editing that and, and releasing that. And that's everything. Yeah, we're all done. So dinner time. I'm starving. Uh, and then I'll see some of you in about an hour and a half for some uh, for some Mozart Requiem shenanigans. And yeah, the uh, the secret word for the for the contest is Mozart. Good luck to everybody who enters. We're all done. Thank you very much for watching. I'll see some of you later on. Take care. Bye-bye.